I'm excited for what the Spirit of God is going to do. It's already doing. You know, um, I was, uh, I I travel quite often. And uh, the other day I was actually, um, well, sometimes I pray to God when I'm just walking or driving, (laughs) showering, even when I'm in a restaurant. And I want you guys to understand also the importance of what it means to, when you, pre- when you prep for something, right? It's like, for example, I was in a restaurant, I was, I was trying to go to a restaurant the other day. Well, I ended up going. I was just, I had to wait outside for like a good 30 minutes. I thought they had opened at 5, but they opened at 5.30. The reason why I'm bringing this up to you, listen, and I didn't even have this in mind. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm here with the mic, amen. <laughs> the Spirit of God's telling me to share this with you. So as I started seeing um, these people, pre- they were prepping. You see, the manager was there. They were all talking about what the experience is to come. So right when you walk in, man, it's prepped. You're ready. I feel so this is a brand new restaurant that opened, and I went to the restaurant. But I said, you can't come in. You got to wait. So the meaning of it, they were, they were setting up the atmosphere for what was going to come. For me, for example, my full experience or whoever would have gone into that place is experience. The waiters needed to have a dress a certain way. They need to be, you know, have a smile on their face regardless if whatever they may be going through personally. Can I get an amen? Who wants to have a waiter that's always looking down and throwing their plate at you and their for you know, hey, give me my silverware nicely. I know you may have problems and issues at home, but we this is a this is a, our hospitality needs to be top notch. So they were prepping for the atmosphere. So once one individual as myself or anyone else that arrives in a restaurant has this experience, you see, the same goes. For when we are here, man, when we come to church, and man, we have to, we set up an atmosphere for the Spirit of God when we come to worship. When you come and you are preparing, and man, sometimes you come into the, sometimes you can come in with some weight, but when you come and you just praise God and you give God thanks, and you take away and just begin to understand that every time you worship God, and man, you allow him during that time of praise and that intimacy you're having with him, even if it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be a song, but it's beautiful when you come to church and you're here and we begin to just set the atmosphere prep our hearts prep our minds our spirit just it's like a a way of allowing man that experience and now when the word of God is being spoken it's going to be received in a different way because you have allowed God come on church when you are worshiping God there's an experience you're you're sowing man you're blessing God at the same time you're exalting God but something's happening within you and you're stirring up your spirit that presence of God. I just wanted to let you know how important it is to try to arrive to church right, you know, on time. Reason being because that is an experience. You are prepping for what's to come. Someone say amen. amen. And it's a beautiful thing to do that. And I just wanted to bring that up. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. So last week we started our series on Dear John. How many of you were here for that? Praise the Lord. Amen. 
Well, if not, I'm going to do a quick rundown because then I want to get to part two, which is today. Once again, remember, guys, we're looking at this from John's perspective. Once again, he's one of, this is one of the four Gospels. They're all similar in story. They're not the same. It's what the, the way that, the way that they saw and experienced Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We are in John. It's called Dear John, and it's one of... It's a different, diff it's it very interesting in how we dive in, or how we're diving into it, and uh, how when I've been just reading, and we're also, I'm also, we're also doing John in, in, uh, in our young adults' uh, uh, services this past couple of weeks. It's been phenomenal, but the Spirit of God uh, told me, man, we need to preach this uh, on our Sunday community as well, amen? And, and it's very different, the way that the Lord has just, been manifesting himself and it's incredible and how the spirit of God um, has been flowing man God is so good amen praise the Lord so yeah last week we spoke about John um, oh another very important topic guys remember John the the Bible okay this is very important the author of the Bible may have been written by different individuals but it the author of the Bible, the imp what's imprinted, man, it's not these individuals' words. It's their personalities are there. Their experiences are there. You may say, hey, but the Apostle Paul wrote, John wrote. Yeah, they wrote, but they were used by the author, which is God. The Spirit of God is the author of the Bible. Someone say amen. Okay, good. Let's just make sure we have that always understood. Amen. But now, from John's perspective, and how the Spirit of God led him to write down these words, I always like to reassure that. I don't want to, we got to give credit to where credit is due. Amen. Amen. We, we know, man, the Spirit of God, he says, this is God's word. Speaking of John and John 1.1, I'm real quick, I'm going to say, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We spoke last week on the words. There's a distinction. Um, remember, when God speaks, it's not like when we, us humans, speak. There's a difference. He's in another dimension. Can I get an amen? And also we spoke on words. And we spoke on the literature. We spoke on, we also uh, compared the difference between logos and rema. If you don't remember what that is, well, one is a literary word term, the way that you can actually read, you read the Bible. But then another thing is when this word becomes life in you. And I use the example of a going to, speaking of food, it's the best one we all eat, right? I use the example of one thing I can, man, I can, read, I can read you a book on how the best cheeseburger is made, all the best ingredients, all the right ways to cook it, how the oven, what to put, what seasoning to put. Man, and I can, I can be a theologian on how to cook burgers. <laughs> Have my doctorate degree, excuse me. On how to cook the best burger, but it's not until I eat that burger that I can really tell you the experience. 
It's not like you can read about a country. Man, all of its historical facts, archaeological facts. Man, I can know what happened in, in the Byzantine period. Uh, and, and right before, during the time of Jesus, what occurred here during the Roman Empire, Byzantine Empire. But it's not until you go visit the place. You can talk about culture, but there's nothing like actually experiencing it. One thing is the word that you read, and one thing is that rhema word that becomes life. Until you, Many people believe in Jesus, but it's not until you experience him. Say amen. amen. You need to experience Jesus. And this is basically how... The whole, really, John is, is, is uh, if you look, I, I sum up all of John, and uh, that's what his goal is, so that each and every one of us, reading the gospel, can have a personal encounter with God, experience God. Hallelujah. That's what we spoke on briefly last week. We did uh, the first a chapter, and there was a lot of things that we discussed as well. We also did the Holy Communion, amen. Um, we also know, and as for very important, that this word is God, and this word became flesh in Jesus. We know that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He experienced pain when he was on the cross, and now I'm not going to jump too far ahead, but I want you to understand that this word that's always existed, because God is the Alpha and the Omega, he's always existed. He is the beginning. He is the end. There is no time with God. The only time there is when, he, when we're, we have a time here on this earth. But with God, if you are in Christ, you, we may have a time here, but we live from zero to eternity. Someone say Amen. We may, this time on our earth may pass, but our time with our king, our spirit remains. When someone passes on, it's sad. Their bodies stay here. Like my father's apostle said, this suit is our space suit. <laughs> this suit is our human body. It's our space suit. We look through our eyes with our exterior. Our inner man is what looks out through through. You know, don't start freaking out now, but this is how it is. Amen. You have an inner man. Everyone here does. And praise the Lord Jesus, those that are in Christ. Amen. We're going to, the day that we do leave this earth, amen, we will be in eternal paradise with him. But guess what? We're still here. We have a duty. So don't be that Christian that's always just talking about, yeah, when I die, go to heaven. Amen. But what are you doing now? And I applaud each and every one of you that are here. Give yourselves a round of applause. Amen. And those of you watching me live, because we have a duty here on this earth. And while you're still breathing, you have purpose. God has called you. Someone say amen. amen. Glory. So I'm going to go to John chapter 2. And I'm, I don't, I'm, throughout these next couple of weeks, I don't know if I'm going to be talking about every, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to preach every single chapter. I don't know if I'm going to speak about every single event that occurred, every single miracle that occurred. Because throughout the book of John, you see the life of Christ, um, who Christ is, what he went through, miracles that were um, 
that had occurred, uh, people that uh, go against him, which we also spoke about last week about the Pharisees, these guys and the Jewish leaders, they're all the time everywhere, and they are just the haters. <laughs> and there's going to be people that go against you. It is called, it, even people that witness Jesus' miracles still, unfortunately, don't believe. And it's a sad thing. It is what it is. We just keep praying for those individuals, amen? But they will be, and you see now, uh, as I go on and, and, and speak and let you guys know what is going on here, I, the Lord did talk to me. This is very important. I will talk about John chapter 2. Let's dive into it right now. John 2, verse 1 through 11. Jesus changes water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six, stones, six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Verse 8 says, then Jesus told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water had known, hey, I poured water in there. This guy's drinking wine. <laughs> I love this. Verse 10, and said, everyone bring out the choice. Excuse me, here, here we go. Verse 9, and the master had the banquet tasted that had been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. Then it says here, then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice, the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine later. But you have saved the best till now. So you see, Jesus not only just turned it to wine, he made a fine wine. Yeah. Verse 11 said, what Jesus did here in Cain of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, interesting, we know, and if you don't know, this was Jesus' first miracle. He turned water into wine. Now, this is very interesting. I started reading this and I, and I said, man... What, what, and the spirit of God was talking to me, and I'm, and, I, and I'm like, why would Jesus say this part? In verse, in verse 4, something contradictory there, in a, in a weird, I'm not contradictory, but just hear me out, church. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mom went up to him. This is Jesus. Jesus knows everything. And I get an Amen. Jesus knows that his mother was going to ask him this question. Hey, there's no more wine. Like the, he, Jesus basically, it wasn't a question that Mary told him, but G, Mary, his mom, said, hey, Jesus, there's no more wine. Like if she knew something was about to happen. Then Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus is talking to his mom. He says, woman. And if you, I was looking at other. 
<laughs> I was looking at other, at other, <laughs> how do you say this, uh, translations or versions, right? And it's like, woman, he says, woman, why do you involve me, Jesus? And then more interesting, Jesus says, my hour has not come. When Jesus knew perfectly well that his hour was right there, it's Jesus. But you see, right there, it was just, it's incredible how, how, how Jesus just can, can just mind boggle you and just, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing because Jesus is all knowing. And the spirit of God was like, man, my, that initiative, my mother knew all along the power, the almighty one, who I am. You see, and then now you understand, and we already know, first of all, he says, don't involve me. Excuse me. The, yeah, Jesus says, why do you involve me? My hour has not come. Basically saying, why are you looking at me, mom? My time isn't now. But he knew it was. But she continued to do what mothers do. And then his mothers told the servants right away, do whatever he tells you to do. You see, some of us in here, you have to understand the power that you have. You need to start speaking things Man, this is a way, this is obviously Jesus talking to his mom. He knew that he was going to turn the water into wine. His hour is already here. He did this as a connotation. Man, for us here today, people preaching the gospel, anyone, John, the disciples, all of them were there hearing what's going on. But when Mary knew what she had, the armor she had, man, she said, listen to this man. And look what happened. She triggered that. Jesus all knowing, you have a power within you. You have Christ. Man, you can start triggering things by speaking. The enemy tries something, speak to that. Do you know who my God is? You think Jesus isn't going to come through for you? When some issue comes against you, your family, your household, your brain, your mind, your peace, Man, you have a power. You have Jesus. Do like Mary did. Man, tell the servant, tell that individual, do you know who? Man, do exactly as my God says and submit by the, by the power that I have in Christ. Come on, somebody. Put your hand together. And that's a different way of looking at it. Because why would Jesus even mention that verse 4 and 5? I'm God. But he does that to reassure, letting people know this is my son. And in that same manner, you can view it how I just established it now and preach it to each and every one of you. I'm preaching it to you. And then the Lord told me, because it was like, wow, why would Jesus say, woman, <laughs> it's not my time. Right after she ordered the servants to do exactly what Jesus said, bam. And that could also be another preaching on mothers as well. All you mothers out there, God bless you. Keep pushing us, right? <laughs> another, another thing that you need to understand here. Jesus, this is a symbolic representation as well. Why Jesus told the servants to fill it with water. He could have turned any substance into wine. He's God, right? It could have been, well, I'm not going to say Kool-Aid. They didn't have Kool-Aid back then, right? <laughs> any substance, any liquid substance, he could have just made wine. He's God. 
The blind see, the lame walk, the people that are dead are raised from the dead. Why did he make the servants put water? He could have just made wine out of nothing. He's God. But why water? Well, because if you look at what water, man, it's symbolic representation. It symbolizes purification. It symbolizes purification. Now you're pure. He symbolizes purification, and then the wine symbolizes joy and celebration. Oh, wow. As he transforms the ordinary into extraordinary. And this event also demonstrates Jesus' need and care for others. He made the best wine. And this first miracle was also one, as if you continue to read, it shows at the end, after he did what he did, in verse 11, you see what it says here. And his disciples says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him why would it say that well it encourages it encourages it lays the foundation for the disciples and their faith in God obviously we're supposed to believe without seeing amen but when you do see I promise you sometimes it's a little bit well one thing is to, you know, once it manifests into reality, your faith goes to another dimension. Amen to that. It's like when we continue to believe in what God has for your life or a promise or maybe you have an issue with a family member that you've been praying years for and then they finally go to church and then you see them in church more than you. <laughs> That's, that helps and boosts your faith. When you conquer obstacles, it triggers something in you. Someone say Amen. And that was, it's not, this is not just Jesus. Now, man, this Jesus just performed a miracle that we were there to witness. And then, as you continue on, after this happened, it is high, look what it says here. It is highlighted when the disciples witnessed this miraculous act, leading them to believe in Jesus more deeply. Their faith was reinforced, and they became more committed to following him. Now, as you continue to go on, John chapter 2, now there's another story, and it was during Passover. Are you with me, church? Say amen. amen. When it was almost time, John chapter 2, 13 through 15, I can't read every single, you know, verse. I would like to, but this is, this is you know, we don't have all the time. But I am getting somewhere. If you're with me this morning, church, say amen. amen. Good. John 2, 13 to 15, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to go to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money exchangers and overturned their tables. Jesus, my friends, was mad. He was very upset. I mean, Jesus got angry. Yeah, he did. Because you see, Jesus wanted to make it very clear 
Remember, every time Jesus does something, it's not just something physical. It's also something spiritual as well. More importantly, the spirit, amen, how profound it is. When we spoke on the first last week on how Jesus turned the blind, the blind man that had the issue, he was born blind. Uh, then Jesus healed the blind man. The blind man obeyed him and went to that pool, and then he was cleansed, and he was healed. Jesus not only uses that, and you can read the whole first chapter of John, um, and then you'll understand also how the Pharisees had their sight the whole time, but they are spiritually blind. You see, it's not only a physical healing, but God wants you to be healed from your interior. We need to all understand that we all once were blind, and now we see. And in the same manner now, this act that Jesus did, it's not only a physical uh, way of, of demonstrating his authority, but it's also spiritual. They were disrespecting the house of God. He has the authority. He has the right to cleanse and restore proper worship to God. This isn't a marketplace. Now, don't get me wrong. Here at our church, we sell pastelitos and coffee. Don't get this. This is not the same thing, okay? And we also have a library where we sell Bibles and books that nurture your soul and your, amen, and your spirit. Don't get it twisted. Now we're not going to get to another stream. Oh, but you sold pizza. Listen, that's after church hours. Our main goal here in Priority is for you to be fed spiritually. <laughs> But after you're done, you know, you can go have a pastelito. <laughs> but these people were using it solely for that. This is a place of God. This is a, a place where we worship God. Jesus let them know, listen, this isn't some marketplace where we're, sell where we're only selling sheep, cattle, and, and, and a bunch of people exchanging monies. There's no money market in the house of God. So he... Physically cleansed it, restored it to the proper place. Now, by cleansing the temple, Jesus demonstrates his role as the Messiah, the Son of God, and the authority to purify what is impure to pure. Remember, guys, back then, the church was a physical location. What does the Bible say about the church now? Who's the church? I said, who's the church? And what's the temple of the Holy Spirit now? Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who's the church? We're the church. Jesus has the power now to, come on, church, to cleanse anything that's impure to pure. Purify what's impure to pure. In Christ, anything that's not of God, man, you, your house now is a place of worship. Amen. Put your hands together. God lives in you. You're the church. The way Jesus went and took out all that nastiness. Uh, um, got upset, turned over the tables, cleaned house. Jesus can clean your house. You are a place of worship. You are the church because God dwells in you. Oh, come on. Am I preaching to someone here this morning? The church, this act shows and demonstrates, man, anything that's impure, anything that's unclean, Jesus, man, will take it all away. 
and replace that with his glory, with his power. Come on, church. Purer than white. Man, you'd be white as snow. Hallelujah. Just as Jesus cleans out that was impure in a physical church, man, we are the church. He'll clean out whatever needs to be cleansed. <clears throat> and obviously, here come the haters again, the Pharisees, Sadducees. All the eases in the Bible are just, they're not so easy. <laughs> and Jesus had to confront all these people and the Jewish leaders and all of them that saw this didn't like it. So then now, they saw, this G they saw Jesus... Basically, the Jewish leaders are all cool with this for sure. They're making a lot of money off what's going on. So now Jesus comes and ruins their business in the middle of the holiest, you know, of the temple in Jerusalem. Figures. So now they're upset, the Jewish leaders. They're saying now this Jesus comes with this authority, wrecks everything up. Who are you to do this? The Jews responded to them. What? Look at it says for John 2, 18 and 19. The Jews, responded then, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Go to the next verse. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Oh, you didn't feel that. I'm going to come on this side. Destroy the temple, and I will raise it again in three days. <laughs> but then the Jews, after if you keep reading, that's impossible. It took 40-something years to build this temple. Oh, small-minded individuals. And then as you keep on reading, listen, the Bible doesn't always go chronologically in order, okay? It's not always like you start from chapter 1, and as you can keep on reading, you'll see how John later says what happened after, how Jesus was talking about himself. They destroyed that temple and what happened three days later? Someone, someone put your hands together. They destroyed, they, come on church. Three days later, what happened? Jesus resurrected from the grave. Hallelujah. John chapter 2, man, it shows Jesus' divine authority, demonstrates his mission and purpose, and it provides valuable teaching for his followers that now thousands of years later here we are amen learning and studying the bible hallelujah amen important verses later on you can see this i'm just gonna um i'm going to um i'm just gonna tell you some quick verses and then i'm gonna jump to chapter three and i'll be finished with that first one is john 2 verse 5 when jesus's mother told the servants do whatever he tells you and this verse demonstrates the obedience and trust that Mary had in Jesus' ability. Amen. John 2, 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. John 2, verses 14 through 15. I read that already. It was about um, when, the, the people, when God went into the temple courts. And basically turned it all over and, you know, got upset and set, established his authority. Amen. And then lastly, how we read in John 2, 
It said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. These are key verses. Amen. Hallelujah. And now we are going to go to John 3. Are you with me, church? Someone say amen. Good, 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 good. Now, this is very, very interesting. John 3 is possibly, well, I would say, arguably, because I guess everyone's biased on what their favorite Bible verse is. And, you know, there's a lot of good ones. The Bible is the word of God, really. So you shouldn't think one is better than the other. They're all powerful. The word of God is is alive and it is God. John 1, 1, the word was God. The word was with God. Man, the word is God. So you can't, you know, I'm just thinking this is, this is a human thing that we do. Because God's word is God's word. Don't worry, you're not going to, it's not a bad, th- I, just, I just think the way that it's written and it's found in chapter 3 of John, which we'll get to as I think it's the cornerstone, the, the well, Jesus is the cornerstone, amen, but it's in that verse, amen, hallelujah. Um, and it, it really, uh, in one verse it tells you, it talks about faith, salvation, and what Jesus did for us, and the heart of God, all in one verse. We'll get there now, but before we get there, let's talk about a man named Nicodemus. All right, let's go to it. John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this is a man that is familiarized. He's part of you know, the group of individuals of the synagogues. This man, once you see his, he is, was a Pharisee, which are the people that are the religious leaders. Once again, they don't really like Jesus very much. But this man was interesting, man. And let's keep on reading about what happened. He came to Jesus. I love how it says at night. Most people do things at night because they probably don't want people to see what they're doing. He came to Jesus at night, rabbi, and I'm not saying that people that do stuff at night are wrong. I'm saying the Bible saying this, okay? Don't don't literally, uh, uh, you know, take that in the wrong way. I'm talking about in the Bible because if he's a Pharisee, he's not supposed to be seen talking to Jesus. Amen? He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Verse 3 replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Go to the next verse. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus said. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mom's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Verily I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You need to be born again. Nicodemus is the perfect example on how Jesus talks to the average Joe. 
that has a complete carnal mind, does not think spiritually. That's why he asked Jesus, hey, how can I be born again? How can I get back in my mother's womb? And it's not happening like that. And this is a, the way that Jesus symbolizes it. It's perfect. And that's why he uses Nicodemus because I believe there's a lot of Nicodemuses. He, maybe not here today, but in this world, I need to hear about Jesus. That maybe think carnally minded. They don't think spiritually. Jesus, hallelujah, is the divine. Come on now. He is the one that teaches us and shows us. That we must not just be born again. It's not born again from a physical standpoint. It means to be born from above. To be born from above. A complete transformation. Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, acknowledges Jesus because he says, hey, there's no way you could be doing this stuff unless, you know, you are someone. He comes in at night so his friend doesn't, you know, his other Pharisee leaders that don't. Nicodemus is that one that he's like, let me see what happens. One foot in, one foot out type of deal. But you know what? It's beautiful how God tells him, Jesus tells him, man, you need to be born again and experience a spiritual rebirth. It's one thing, man, like I, as we talked earlier about it, Nicodemus he explain, Jesus explains to him that this rebirth is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. And then it goes on, and as you see John 3, which is the verse 16. For God so loved the world. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And now I'm, I'm, speaking, to, I'm speaking to you this morning. Speaking to you watching me live. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Put your hands together, church. This is arguably the well, man, the most well-known verse in the Bible. It encapsulates the core message of Christianity. For God so loved the world. It shows God's love, his deep love for humanity, for you, for me. His redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. Because, man, you know Christ is our redeemer. He redeemed us. And his sacrificial death and man resurrection, hallelujah. He became your substitute. He died for you, he died for me, he died for all of human man for all of humanity. The conversation between Nick and Nicodemus and Jesus, man, it shows the necessity of faith in Jesus for salvation. And in order for you to be born again, spiritually born from above, you need to surrender your life to Christ. And I love how how. Man, chapter 3 just dives in more, and it dives in deeper. How it talks in 3.3, three, it talks, the spiritual rebirth, it's, it's listen, it's, it's necessary. You can't. And if you look at the previous verses before, man, Jesus says, I am the door. No man can come to the Father except through me. 
you need to be born again. Well, what do you do, man? You need, to, you need to understand and recognize and surrender your life to Christ. And then you can be born again. Once you become a part of that family, once you surrender your life to Christ, then you truly will be born again. You'll be born from above. You'll be a brand new individual. <laughs> 